Hello, everybody. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kathy. Ah, good morning. How are you all? You know, um, I want to start this morning. I'm going to be preaching on uh, Luke 15, but before I get into the message, I would like us to do something. Um, this week, I've been just, my heart's been really breaking for the Bahamas and uh, for everything that's happened. I, I just cannot imagine what that must have been like to have uh, a Category 5 hurricane, the largest equal in history um, to make landfall, and then have it get stuck and sit over you at 185 mile an hour winds for two days uh, with 225 mile an hour gusting winds. And, you know, that, that when I see the images on the BBC News and other news of the Bahamas and the devastation, um, Greater Abaco and uh, Grand Bahama, I mean, it just my heart is like, ah! That's so deeply, agonizingly painful, and I just can't imagine what that must have been like for them. And I would like, as the church family, we already did it in the first service, we're going to do it again, um, but I want to do it from a place of hope, of declaring hope. Um, you're going to see in a moment, we're going to re just speak out Isaiah 33, 9 together, which is an amazing passage of Scripture where... The Lord spoke to the prophet uh, Jeremiah. Did I say Isaiah? Excuse me, I meant Jeremiah. Where the Lord spoke to the prophet Jeremiah, and he spoke prophetically, declaring over the city, the ancient city of Jerusalem, that was about to be devastated by Nebuchadnezzar and uh, the Babylonian army, and the last uh, group of them, including King Zedekiah himself, who Nebuchadnezzar put his eyes out in front of having killed all of his sons. Uh, and Jeremiah knew this was about to happen, and he's speaking over the ancient city prophetically, declaring hope that in 70 years, the Lord was going to restore all of the fortunes of Jerusalem, which the Lord did, as we know. But I want to use this scripture over the Bahamas. You know, I was thinking about how Jesus, he stood up in the bow of the boat, and it says that he rebuked the wind and the waves. How many of you know that Jesus is not going to rebuke the wind and the waves if the wind and the waves, this terrible storm that was sent to destroy them, he would not have been rebuking the wind and the waves if it was a heavenly daddy that sent that storm. So I think we can get a glimpse into the reality that there is a nasty devil in this world who Jesus said comes to steal kill and destroy in John 10.10, 10, but then he ends it with, but I've come that you might have life. And we know that that hurricane, that Category 5 hurricane, was sent to destroy the Bahamas. It has done. Many, many lives have been lost. They haven't even uh, got to anywhere close to discovering how many people have lost their lives. The devastation is so terrible. And I just feel, as I was in the worship, I just feel like uh, you know, there's, a, there's cruise ships that are going to bring people back. Supplies are being sent. The nations are gathering around the Bahamas. Uh, but I just feel as a church in the spirit realm, I want to decree hope and a blessed future over the Bahamas. And so I want you uh, just to listen to this for a moment. I'm going to read it out. 
Jeremiah 33 verse 9, and then if you agree with me that you would like to declare this over the future of the Bahamas, and not only the Bahamas, but the whole of the eastern seaboard of the United States and up into Canada where that, that dreadful storm has just went passed over last night, uprooting trees, people have lost their lives all up the east coast of America as well, thankfully not many, nowhere near as many as it could have done had the Lord not just uh, st stayed that storm the way he did. But I want you to consider whether you would like to decree this with me. Then this city will bring me renown, joy, praise, and honor before all nations on earth that hear of all the good things that I do for it. And they will be in awe and tremble at the abundant prosperity and peace I provide for it. Then the Bahamas will bring me renown, joy, praise, and honor before all nations on earth, despite what the enemy intended for evil. That all those who hear of all the good things that I do for it, and they will be in awe and will tremble at the abundant prosperity and peace that I provide for it. I want you to stand with me. We're going to declare this over the Bahamas. We're going to declare it over the United States of America, the eastern seaboard, and up into Canada. And we're also going to declare it. We're going to do it twice. We're also going to declare it over this whole region of Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill, and the whole of this triangle region where God where we can take hold of an ancient prophecy over Jerusalem and because we're in Christ Jesus and the new covenant, we can now prophesy this same heart of God in its fulfillment in Christ over our cities. Amen? How many of you think that was an amazing verse? Yeah? I do too. I thought that was just amazing. And then that'll set us up for me to preach on Luke 15. Say this with me. Then the Bahamas. Come on, guys, let's shakaraba. Imagine if it was your home that was just destroyed, and your family member that you'd lost, and you have no food, and you're looking at your beautiful nation like the Bahamas and seeing devastation and destruction all around you. And then the word of the Lord comes and says that this nation. Shikabanga. The, the, then the Bahamas will bring me renown, joy, praise and honor before all nations on earth that hear of all the good things that I do for it. And they will be in awe and tremble at the abundant prosperity and peace that I provide for the Bahamas, despite what the enemy meant for evil. In Jesus' name, 180 degrees, turn around for the Bahamas. In the name of Jesus, we declare it. We decree it. All right, now let's, let's speak this over our region right here. You know, sometimes we can just get so overawed with all of the things that we see going on, the negative in the news and everything else, when we easily lose perspective. Jesus Christ wins. Period. He's already won, and he's going to win. And the devil is a loser. 
He's already lost and he's going to lose. And I can say that not in the confidence of myself because I didn't beat the devil. Jesus Christ beat the devil. And he will beat him ultimately when he puts the last enemy death fully under his feet. Hallelujah, what a day that'll be. Okay, are you ready? Say this with me. We decree, according to the eternal word of God, in Jeremiah 33 verse 9, that this city of the triangle region, all the cities of the triangle region, will bring Jesus renown, joy, praise and honor before all nations on earth that hear of all the good things that I do for it. And the nations will be in awe and will tremble at the abundant prosperity and peace that I provide for it. Here in North Kakalaki. Hallelujah. You can take your seats. Boom. Oh, God's good, isn't he? I want you to turn with me to the book of Luke and chapter 15. The wonderfully familiar passage of scripture to many of you. And I'm going to preach a message that I've preached all over the world. Although the Lord gave me. Some fresh revelation just this week as I was preparing. He woke me in the night and, and gave me some revelation that I'd never thought of before. Despite preaching and reading this, reading this many times and preaching this many times, I think I've preached this message once in the history of our church in 11 years since we started this church right here in Raleigh-Durham. So for those of you that have heard me preach this before, uh, it's a review and uh, please don't spoil it by yelling out something, you know. Actually, I've got this feeling that you probably wouldn't because we've all been conditioned, haven't we? Keep your mouth shut when the preacher's preaching. Don't answer his questions because if you do, you probably might get it wrong and everybody will laugh at you. You know, I've been there, you know. It's like, so, yeah, and uh, how many of you know the last book of the Old Testament is the book of Zedekiah? Wrong. <laughs> yeah, it's embarrassing, isn't it? I feel like we're all preconditioned these days to keep our hands down and our mouths shut. But anyway, let's read verse 1. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to Jesus to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And so he spoke this parable to them, saying, I want you to notice that the context of this scripture is a mixed crowd, a mixed crowd of human beings, the likes of which are all over the planet Earth right now, divided into two categories. People that consider themselves to be unworthy of God, sinful, and in need of a Savior. They may know the rules and regulations of life. They may know the the social accepted etiquettes and otherwise, and they feel like, you know what, I know I've blown it. 
I, I know that I tell lies from time to time. I, I know I'm conscious that, that I lose my temper or whatever it might be or that I get envious or jealous. And, and it doesn't matter how hard I try not to be the person that I am and try to be a better person, I keep failing. I need a savior. And then there's the other group of people. And they're the people that, I'm sure there's nobody in this room that's like this, but they're the group of people that are like, you know, I'm so good. Wow, I'm so good. You know, I'm better than everybody else. Of course, I wouldn't tell everybody that. I just know it. It comes out when I talk to myself in my own thoughts. I would never do that. Wow, I would never wear those shoes. What an idiot, jerk. Well, I wouldn't cut people up in the road like that. I mean, goodness gracious. Yeah, what a jerk. You're such a jerk. Can't even drive your car properly. I would never do that. Because I'm sure there's nobody in this room that ever gets upset or frustrated on the roads of North Carolina, just in Virginia. <laughs> you know, whether you're watching online or you're in here this morning, the reality is we all need a Savior. And I thank God that we have a Savior. I thank God that the world has a Savior. I thank God that He is our Savior. I thank the Father for sending His Son, Jesus Christ, into this world. The reality is, everybody, whether you're watching online or you're in this room, the reality is hell exists. It's one of those subjects that we don't like to talk about very often. We don't like to think about it very often. It's become a social kind of uh, faux pas to talk about the reality that hell exists. But ladies, ladies and gentlemen, church family, friends, those of you watching online, church family, friends, and strangers that might be watching online, let me tell you something. Hell is a real place. And hell has been created not for human beings, but created by God to keep sin and the source of sin, Satan himself, and all the dominion of darkness, all of the unclean, foul spirits of darkness that have ever existed, every single one of them are going to be bound forever and judged in an everlasting, burning, purifying fire for eternity. But the sad thing is, is that if human beings, as human beings, if we are determined to hold on to our sin and cling to our sin, and we refuse God's gift of salvation of His Son then our sin's eternal destiny becomes our eternal destiny. And we spend that eternal destiny with our sin in hell forever. It is a real place, everybody. I thank God that hell is the reason heaven will remain heaven. Because everything that would ruin heaven will be kept out of heaven and judged for eternity in hell. I can't think of anything worse than arriving in heaven with all my sin intact, all my sinful ways that have been so practiced over a lifetime fully intact, and me remaining one with them, with all of those wrong attitudes in place, and then I arrive in heaven. Hi, everybody. I'm so excited to be here. And then all of a sudden, I start lying then I get envious. Then I'm looking at people lustfully. 
Then I start stealing. And all of a sudden, I go down in all of eternity as the infamous one who arrived because God let him in in all of his sin and he turned heaven into hell. And instead of sin being a a time and space dynamic now suddenly sin becomes an eternal dynamic. I can't think of anything worse. And I thank God that he found, he, he didn't find a way, he always knew that he was going to pay the way to make sure by his own self, through his son Jesus Christ, becoming a man, God incarnate, and living the life that we could not live, the perfect life so that that life could be awarded everybody who believes in Jesus. And then he also took the death, that punishment, the just punishment of an eternity in hell. He took that in its fullness on the cross for every human being who chooses to believe in Jesus Christ. And he separated us from our sin so that our sin's destiny is hell, but our destiny is is the one we're united with, Christ Jesus himself. So that where he is right now for eternity, we will be also. That's the gospel, everybody, in a simple enough form. When I was 20, before I got saved, even though I'd been raised in a Christian home, I was now walking with God from about the age of 15 till I was about, till I was 20, I turned away from the Lord and I turned away from all that I was raised in. I became a lost sheep and I turned my heart to all kinds of rebellion and wickedness. And one day when I was 20, my parents who were missionaries in Nigeria for 20 years were now back in the UK living permanently there. And I'm lying in my bed one night. My parents were away and... uh, I had a dream, and in this dream, I was taking off from an airport with my family, and all of a sudden, the plane came down and exploded into the most horrific inferno of flames, and just, just like light, except burning white fire everywhere, all around me. Everything incinerated, went like that, you know, the, the ash when it's just like so, like, looks like snow. And everything went like that in a brilliant, in a second. And I'm screaming because my whole body went like that. My family were gone. And I'm screaming and screaming in physical, agonizing, burning sensation all over my body. But the worst thing was I could feel my body. Even though I couldn't see myself, I felt like me. All of me was right there. Like my right leg was my right leg still but I couldn't see it. It was in burning, incinerating, just to describe the pain, is, 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 there's no words to describe it. I was in sheer agony. And, and, and in that split second, I also felt the most intense loneliness. I, I just can't even describe to you, everybody, the loneliness that I felt. I was instantly in the deepest Loneliness, agonizing fire, deep loneliness, and my family gone. And then suddenly in the next instant, 
I could hear not only myself screaming, I could hear the screams of millions and millions of people. And I realized I was in an ocean of humanity. Yet I could not communicate with any of them, and I was utterly alone. And thank God I woke up! And I ran out and lit a cigarette. Man! Needless to say, it didn't take long before I got saved. <laughs> Why am I sharing that with you? Because we have to understand the reality that the lost are lost. And today, we're going to be reading about how the lost can be found. And each of us that have given our lives to Jesus, I want us to remember we were lost, but now we've been found. And we didn't get found by any of our own merit. We were found by a God who loves us. The same God who loves our family members that don't know him, our work colleagues that don't know him, the world around us, the worst of sinners around us could be tomorrow's best, most famous preacher winning the lost. The Pharisees and the... Excuse me. Verse 4. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together all of his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I want you to notice right here the beauty of our Savior. Our God is a God of rejoicing, constant joy. I want you to notice the affection and the kindness of God that Jesus is revealing in this parable. I want you to notice that he doesn't just find the lost sheep and then start yelling at the lost sheep. You dumb, stupid, stupid, stupid sheep. Now, I've been a shepherd, everybody. When I was 19, I worked on a sheep and cattle ranch in Australia with 22,000 sheep. I worked in England as a shepherd hand when I was 28 years old till I was 30. And let me tell you something. There's a lot of shepherds that yell obscenities at sheep. And, but the Bible doesn't say he finds the sheep and then starts kicking it, you dumb, stupid sheep. No, he gathers it tenderly into his hands and then he does the most awesome thing that my dad ever did to me. He puts the sheep on his shoulders. Oh my gosh. When I was a kid, my dad was super athletic, strong. Murray and I's father, very athletic, strong man. Got all of the awards for running and everything in his school, records and everything else. Now he's a missionary in Nigeria. Still got legs that were about 10 times the size of legs that I'd ever seen. And I'm sitting there as a little three-year-old and he would walk with us out into the bush, you know, and there's like, he'd say like, stay with me, stay with me, Duncan. There's snakes everywhere. Don't worry, dad, I'm right with you. 
I'm holding his hand the whole way, and we're just going to go up over that ridge. We get to that ridge. We're just going to go over the next ridge. We get to the next ridge. We're just going to get over that. And I'm like, oh, are there any more ridges? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Anyway, finally, my dad would get, even my dad would be like, you know, it's time to get home. And he'd turn around. Well, by that time, I'm exhausted. And there's just one longing in my heart. Pick me up, Daddy. Pick me up. And I'd be, Daddy, pick me up. I want a shoulder ride. And he'd swing me up on his shoulders, probably with one arm like this. And I'd be sat there. And he, he had lost a lot of hair by then. The Lord knows where every one of them is. But anyway, I'm there. And I'm, I'd have my head right there on his bald head. You know, my hands right on his bald head. And I'd be saying, my daddy, my daddy. No snake's going to catch me. No lions, hyenas. Because there were those sorts of things out there. I was with my dad on his shoulders. And dad would take me all the way home on that shoulder ride. It felt so good. Come on, how many of you know what I'm talking about? Nothing like a dad's shoulder ride. And for those of you who never had a shoulder ride from your earthly daddy, let, the heaven, let your heavenly daddy take you on a shoulder ride with him. I pray that God will give you that experience in the spirit. But anyway... And he gets home. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, verse 8, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, Rejoice with me, for I found what I was, what I'd lost. I found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then he said, a certain man had two sons. And he talks about the parable that is very famous that we don't have time to go into today because I want to focus in and zoom in on the parable of the lost coin. And I want you to notice, by the way, that we got it wrong all these years how many of you know that we often say, hey, you know, when a sinner gets saved, all the angels rejoice? No, that's not what it says. It says there's joy in the presence of the angels over one sinner who repents. Do you realize it wasn't angels rejoicing when you got saved? It was Daddy God, Jesus, his son, and the Holy Spirit who were rejoicing when you got saved. You know, C.S. Lewis referred to the Trinity as the eternal dance of love. The lover who loves the beloved with the love. The father who loves the son by the spirit. This eternal love that Murray and Ash in the last two weeks, we've been preaching about this love that we can't have on our own. It's from God. This love that we love with because he first loved us. This love that not only finds us as we are, it, he loves us way too much to leave us as we are. And then this love that finds us becomes the same love that sends us. I love it. I just love it so much. And I want you to notice that, you know, 
Imagine the movement of love for all of eternity. The Father loving the Son, the Son loving the Father by the Spirit. The Father moving towards His Son eternally. The Son moving eternally towards His Father. The Spirit eternally moving from the Father to the Son. There's this whirlwind of C.S. Lewis calls the dance of love that's God. Just for all of eternity. And then all of a sudden, they stop. Because you gave your life to Jesus. And all the angels are like. Holy, holy, holy. Shakaraba. Man, what an incredible, incredible thought. To think that the angels are the witnesses of the joy of God because you got saved. And I wanna I wanna talk with you this morning. I can understand why Jesus would share a parable about a lost sheep. I can understand why Jesus would share a parable about two lost sons. See, two lost boys, one of them was able to come to his senses and remember his father and remind himself that he was not born for the pig's will. He was not born to stink like pig poop. He was not born to be starving hungry. He was born to dwell for eternity in a palace with his dad. And he remembered at his lowest point, that he could go back to his father. He remembered the way his father took care of all of his employees. He remembered the good heart of his dad. He had legs that could function with his remembering and his brain to pick himself up out of that pig's will and do a 180 degree degree turn that um, repentance means, like Kathy was talking about. That's all repentance means, everybody. I don't know why we'd be so anxious about it. It literally means you're walking like this and you do this. And that's it. And that's what that young man did in the pig pen. He was walking away from his dad and it was leading him further and further and further into poop. And more and more pain, more and more hunger, more and more suffering. And then he remembered his dad and he picked himself up and he returned to his father all on his own. A sheep, on the other hand, not quite as intelligent. But let me tell you something, a sheep, when it's lost, you know it's lost. Trust me, I know. Three hours later, Six hours later. It has a voice, everybody. Now, it's not intelligent enough to do anything more than walk around in circles using its voice. It's not like the son who could come to his senses and knew how to get back to his dad. The sheep doesn't know it's lost. So the sheep is entirely reliant upon the shepherd to come for it. 
And did you know, by the way, that domestic sheep, if they're not looked after by a shepherd, they'll all die? Yep. If a sheep falls over, a domestic sheep, onto its back, it can't get back up again. It will die there. But sheep have a voice. And I can understand why he would use a parable about two lost boys because Jesus came to reveal that Daddy God is good. He's the good father. And I can understand why he would talk about a lost sheep because he came to show us that he's the good shepherd. But a coin? I never heard Jesus call himself the good coin collector. Although I think the tax collectors would have liked that. Okay, that was a bad joke, all right. A coin. A lost coin. Ever seen one of those? Say no. Unless you've been to the UK, England. Yes, my father-in-law gave me that, Norman. Kate's dad's here this morning. I just want to honor him. Dad, would you stand up, please? And let's honor Kate's father. Apart from being an amazing father and father-in-law, he's an amazing great-grandfather, grandfather, and he's been an amazing pastor for 29 years of his life and uh, was an amazing architect, successful architect before that. And so we're really just love, so thrilled to have you with us, Dad. And... Um, I asked him this morning, I said, do you have an English pound coin for my illustration? I could have used others, but it just felt right and appropriate. You see, on this coin, you can't see it from where you are, but on this coin, there's a face. It's the face of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. Nine, and 2019, I might add, although she still looks incredibly young. And she's wearing a crown. She looks majestic on this shiny coin. See, I want you to know that in the same way that on this coin is the image of the owner of this coin, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, because that's who it's, this coin truly belongs to, you have the imprint of your Father and your Savior and your God's treasure. But why a coin, everybody? Why a coin? I believe there's a profound answer to that, and it's this, and maybe other answers, but one of the profound answers is this. You see, that coin is an inanimate object. That coin has no voice. That coin has no legs. That coin has no brain. That coin doesn't even know it's lost. A boy can know they're lost. A sheep even can know it's lost. But a coin, it doesn't know it's lost. You see, there's people around you in your life, in your family, and they're not like the lost prodigal son. There may be people in your workplace they're not like the lost sheep. 
They've never ever known God. They don't even know God exists. They might be bent on determined that He doesn't exist. And they may not even realize that they're lost. And if you were to talk to them and help them to see that they were lost, they'd be as incapable of knowing that they're lost as that coin is. But God. But God. You see, to God, they're treasure. To God, they carry His image. To God, He's determined. I want you to notice that it says that she owned the fact that she had found the coin which she had lost. And here's Jesus opening our eyes to this unimaginable love to think that God Himself considers it His responsibility that we're all lost. That's why He sent His Son Jesus to come and find us. And I just want you all to know I'm so ever so grateful that this God who owns the entire universe and created it and holds it all in the span of his hand, he's not requiring you to be responsible for you to find him. That would be pretty dumb. After all, the entire constellation that our solar system is in is invisible at this kind of uh, magnification. And so somewhere in that big immense universe is a little massive constellation within which is a massive, 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 enormous, gigantic, ginormous solar system with a sun that's goodness knows how many times the size of our earth. And somewhere in that is little you. And you were lost. And I thank God that even though you couldn't see him because You can't even see the end of the universe, let alone his eyes that are looking at you. I thank God he never took his eyes off you from the moment he created you. And he's come and found you. But he's looking for all your family and all your friends and all your work colleagues and all the people that cut you up on the freeway. And he's looking for them. Where is he? I remember when I was a dad of young children. I'm still a dad, but when I was a dad of very young children, I remember when Jess was born and I used to play hide-and-go-seek with, with her, you know, age 15 months. So I remember the first game. I went running upstairs because I'm a highly competitive person. I had to win. I went upstairs. I, I found the best hiding place right there in the wardrobe and I hid there and I hid there and I hid there. And she's crying, can't find daddy. And I suddenly realized, this is not a game that you need to win, Dunk. Okay, so from then on, it was like. Now I'm a grandfather. You know, to be honest with you, if I'd known being a grandfather was so good, I'd have just skipped being a dad altogether and gone straight there. I tell you what, I don't make that mistake anymore with my grandson. Nope, or my granddaughter. I am. I know I love you. No competition. Where's that coin? Where's that little coin? Can't find it. There it is. Hi, my little one. I'm so sorry that I lost you. I love you. 
right in my top pocket, right in my heart. You'll never be lost again, ever. You're mine. You're my beloved. You're my treasured possession. Why a woman? Jesus talked about the good shepherd. He didn't talk about the good shepherdess. Talked about two sons with the good father. Didn't talk about their good mother. But here in this one, he says, what woman? Why a woman, everybody? Why a woman? Well, I believe the Lord showed me that he chose to use a woman because I believe he's speaking prophetically through this scripture to his church, his bride. And he's saying prophetically, I want your heart to be like the heart of this woman. I want you to carry my heart of love now that you've gone from being merely a lost coin to now being a found son, to being a lost sheep, to now being back in the fold and on my shoulders. I want you to be like this woman. I want you to carry my heart of love to a lost and broken world. And I want you to give yourself no rest, but go treasure hunting with me. Let's go find our lost treasure. Let's go find our lost sheep. Let's go find your brothers and sisters. Let's bring them all home. And the Lord woke me up the other night and he said, Duncan, I want you to notice she lit her lamp and she picked up her broom, her brush, and she swept the whole house clean until she found the coin. And you know, the Lord showed me that the lamp, a lamp burns with no effort. Have you noticed that? She lit the lamp and from that moment she could carry it. She didn't have to worry about it. She didn't have to work it up. We're in this room, lights. We're not sitting there going, John, stay alight, okay? Hold it. There's no effort involved in light for us. It's a gift. It just flows. And Jesus said in Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. He said in John 8, verse 12, he said, I'm the light of the world. And you have Jesus on the inside. And you got to let your light shine. This little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. And you know what? When they wrote that song, they shone their light in the midst of darkness. And they set the captives free. And slavery was ended. And you and I, we have a very big bush fire on the inside of us. And we can let our light shine in this world now and go treasure hunting and set the lost coins, lost sheep, and lost sons and daughters free in Jesus' mighty name. And all it takes is that you light your lamp. You have oil on the inside. You have a flame of fire potentially that can come and rest upon your head. Ask God to light you up. Ask Him to light you up. A lamp needs not just oil, it needs a flame. There's a lot of Christians with a lot of oil, but no flame. And then there's some flamey ones with no oil that just... But come on! We're not catch the love, we're catch the fire, which is love. You understand? I want you to stand.
This, this woman, she didn't just light her lamp. She did something else. She picked up a broom. I hate brooms. I can't stand them. I avoid them like the plague. My wife gets upset about it. But if you're going to sweep your kitchen with all those crumbs, and certainly if you're going to find a coin that's under the dust and in the crevice somewhere, you're going to have to pick up a broom. And a broom is not like a light. See, a light, it just shines. But a broom, you've got to work it. Go work that thing. Then you start singing to yourself because otherwise it's just deadly. But you got to work it, everybody. See, if we're going to win the lost, we got to be prepared to work in the harvest fields. We got to be prepared to work in the secret place of prayer when we pray and ask the Lord to remove the, the scales off the minds of the eyes of the mind of unbelievers that He's put there. It tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 3 or 4. We got to pray that those scales come down. We got to pray for our brothers and sisters that have come from a far lands and have bought homes or been rented homes or been put into government housing right next to us where their whole ancestors going all the way back to Noah have never walked with God. They've never known about Jesus. They've never heard the gospel before and God brought them to put them next to us. Cuz he couldn't think of anybody better equipped than you to win them to Jesus. But you've got to work it. You've got to be prepared. You've got to be willing to stretch out your hand when you find out they've got a sore throat and let your hands be the hands of Jesus and do a miracle. And he ends by saying that she throws a party with all of her friends and relatives. You know what? We've got to stop looking so miserable. And we have an invitation in this parable to actually start throwing some salvation parties. Come on. You know, I've got a friend, okay, who's a member of this church, all right, and he's a powerful man of God, and he deliberately goes to the wine bar so that he can meet people that don't know Jesus and turn a little wine back into water. But you don't need to be at a wine bar, but when you go to your Family, or you go to your workplace, or you go down to Starbucks, or you go to wherever, be prepared to go treasure hunting with Jesus. Amen? And there's an anointing on this message. And tonight, today, in this moment, I want to give you a bold invitation that if you would like the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon you, to rest upon you, to turn you into a mighty treasure hunter with Jesus. I want to invite you. Come out to the front this morning. Okay? Just come on out here. Every one of you that would like to just join me and the Holy Spirit in beginning to see people the way God sees them. That we would no longer look at all the yelling and upsets and you know, the sin and, and we'd stop being offended by their sin and we'd be reminded that they don't know how to save themselves. They literally don't know. 
They don't know actually any more than we don't know or didn't know. And the same beautiful Holy Spirit who came and found us, put us on Daddy's shoulders, put us, tucked us into Christ in the Father's love, is the same Holy Spirit that is fueling and firing our lamp and giving us tenacity. And you know, my friend, Kathy's dad came up to me during, Lee came up to me during the break and he said, Duncan, you think about it. Think about how shiny a coin sparkles when all the dust has been removed. All that dirt, all the grime of the world has been dusted off. Look how sparkly. And he said, there's not a coin that can't radiate the glorious light of Jesus. Now think about my life and how much I needed a Savior. And when I burned in that, that night, I knew that I deserved to be there. I just knew it. And I thank you, Jesus, with all my heart, that you considered me treasure, that you consider us treasure. And you came and found us. And with all my heart, Lord, I join all of our friends, my friends in this room. We join together as your bride and we say yes to your commission, your great commission. We say yes to picking up our brooms. We say yes to you lighting our lamps, Lord. We ask that you'd switch us on, that we would light up, that we'd be like a gigantic, glorious, fiery one, filled with your spirit and shining with radiant glory, that we would be unashamed of the gospel, that we'd see how lost the lost truly are, that, Lord, you would enable us to shut the lion's mouths and that you would give us boldness of spirit, courageous hearts to share the gospel, to share the truth, to manifest your love and to reveal your heart, God, in Jesus' name. Lord, we're asking you. I'd just like to ask if the prayer ministry team, you could just begin to start laying hands. I'm going to come and start laying hands on you. But just stay here and ask God to just, some of you are already beginning to, you know, your hearts are really being touched. And, and I want to ask that Holy Spirit, you would come right across this room and touch the whole of the Catch the Fire family. That you turn us inside out. That we would not be consumerists with your love. But we would be givers of your love, God. That you'd supernaturally anoint us. That you'd enable us to do the most amazing miracles and signs and wonders in our workplaces, in our in our car parks and while we're gassing or fueling our cars up or electrifying our cars. Lord, I'm asking you that you would just fill us with your glory and that you would lead us to your lost treasure. I'm asking you that you would enable us to make the most of every moment for your glory. In Jesus' name.